0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.
1: And the overlap from what I gather is really around three things. First, we have to get clear. So questions to help get clear and understand, you know, who we are now, who we want to become, or if it's business, you know, where did, how did we get to this point and where are we heading? So we understand and we're super clear on what's going on. And then the next phase is to ask questions around um, intentionality. So asking questions to understand, well, are the actions I'm taking supporting that person I want to become or supporting the business that I'm trying to create? My habits support that. The systems surrounding those habits support who I am, right? And that's all you have to remember because the third part comes by default if you're doing the first two steps. And the third one is just there's an expansion of possibility or there's an expansion of opportunity because you can see it. You know, it's all there. It's just we normally we can't see it because our mind is fogged with emotion, decisions, relationships that don't serve us. But as soon as we start getting clear on the person that we want to become and we start blowing out all that mental fog, now all of a sudden you can see the opportunity.
0: I am so thrilled to have you here. Um, I found out about you and your work by way of the team at Baron Fig. And as a person who is obsessed with notebooks and journals, uh, I, you know, it was kind of an instant yes. And I didn't even realize what I was getting myself into. And I know you know, we're talking for the second time because we had to reschedule, but I just finished reading your book this morning, uh, Personal Socrates. And I thought, wow, this is, this is a really, really cool book. And there's a lot of really interesting ideas in here. Um, but before we get into that, speaking of questions, I thought we'd start by asking you, what is one of the most important things that you learned from one or both of your parents that have influenced where you've ended up with your life and what you ended up doing? I mean, the, the, the
1: characteristic that comes to mind all the time is just to live life with a, with a kind mindset. I, I grew up with a really uh, loving set of parents that, you know, I, I remember when my dad passed, he just, the amount of people that were at that funeral and that, you know, the, the comments that were left behind was just like, he was just such a loving and caring guy. And no matter what, you know, he was a happy individual um, and, and left people, you know, excited and energized when he was in, in the room. And and that's, that's honestly my main goal in, in life because you know how it is when, especially in the podcasting world, like for me, there's nothing that energizes me more than connecting with awesome humans on, on the other side of the mic, you being one of those. And there's nothing worse than leaving a conversation like that feeling drained, right? So my objective is always, to leave that person on the other side more energized
0: than when they came into the conversation and just feeling good. Yeah. Uh, how old were you when your dad passed? Was this when you are younger or did this happen as an adult? This,
1: yeah, it would have been a, as an adult, I think it's been about five years now.
0: The reason I asked uh, is because one of the things I learned from talking to Frank Ostaseski at the Zen Hospice Project Uh, was that we tend to undervalue the time that we have left with the people who matter most. And I remember telling him, I said, you know, like for this long time, I had this really persistent fear that I might end up alone. And as I started getting older, I thought, you know, actually I'm not afraid of being alone. What I'm more scared of is that my parents wouldn't be here to see milestone moments in my life. And he said, well, don't wait for those big moments, you know, spend time Mm -hmm. with them now. But the other thing that I wonder is, you know, I've heard people tell me that losing a parent is something you just, you never get over it. You move on. Um, but I wonder like, you know, how you process such a painful experience, you know, cause I, to me, it's one of those things that I don't think anybody can ever understand it. No matter how many books you read, no matter how many podcasts you listen to until you've experienced it yourself.
1: Yeah, it's, you're right. I mean, it, it it's challenging. And I think what's what's the most challenging for me especially where i'm at in in my life right now he he passed away about 3 months before um my son was born mm. and you know that's that's the challenging piece is that you know obviously i know my dad and my 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 wife's you know been around for for a decade plus before uh before he passed as well and you know just that feeling of that, that my, my little guy won't be able to experience his grandfather or at this, you know, same way that, that, that I did. And then the other thing too, is just like everything going on in my world. um, He, he passed away right when I basically left the corporate arena and jumped into the, the whole entrepreneurial space. And, you know, he didn't get to see some of the outcomes that, that took place and some of the, (laughs) some of the life explosions that, that took place on my journey with, uh, with the app and whatnot. And then now with the book, like there'd be nothing that would make me smile more than to hand them a physical copy of, of this book. Right. Um, so, you know, for me, I think it's just, just knowing for anyone that passes, knowing they're there. And I often think of, of something I learned from Maya Angelou actually in, 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 in the book actually, and just you know keeping those people really close to you and when when you need them for example if you're about to deliver a presentation or about to work on a big you know project where there's fear or anxiety or uncertainty to like you know close your eyes and bring those people that you know love you and support you and they're there with you may not be yeah. there physically but they're there you know in spirit and you know that they've got your back so i you know i bring my dad to light uh, in many situations from, from that perspective
0: yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I had um, Alex Benayan here. You may know him. He wrote a book yeah, called The Third Door. And I remember it was right uh, when the book came out. And in that same year, his dad had passed away. And uh, yeah, I remember him telling me, he said, you know, people think that I am, you know, dealing with a book launch while, you know, navigating the loss of my father. And he said, the reality is I'm dealing with the loss of my father while navigating a book launch. And yeah you know, I remember, and I remember, you know, he said, you know, you may be the only person who brought me to tears during an interview. And I said, not intentionally, but I remember thinking at that time that, wow, you know, for a moment I was envious uh, because my books didn't do as well. And I said, you know what? I wouldn't trade a single book sale uh, if it meant I'd get less time with my dad. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, So what actually ended up, you know, putting you on this trajectory that you're on to end up you know, where you're at and to write, to write this book in particular of all the books that you could write? Like
1: how'd you end up <laughs> yeah. here? Yeah, it's a good question because I mean, I wouldn't have, if you think back to my parents and, you know, when I was living at, at home and whatnot and where I grew up, like I never imagined that I would write a book. Uh, it just, it kind of happened, you know, and what facilitated that was after I spent about about a decade in the healthcare space in 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 the corporate environment in various roles sales analytics and at the at the very end or the majority of my career uh, I was in product management and I share that just because in the, during those years the consistent that actually led to a lot of the work that I'm doing now was that I was getting up earlier in the morning and I was reading positive things positive content trying everything possible to fuel my, my mind with good mental nutrition. And it, that started because when I came out of university, I, my first job was in sales. And I remember thinking, everyone's being trained up in the same way. So how possibly am I going to stand out in this group if we're all going through the same training? And for whatever reason, I just, I started reading and started getting up earlier. And it didn't take long to realize that the Robin Sharmas of the world, or like Tony Robbins, or at that time, I remember I was reading Success Magazine, and you've got Jack Canfield and John Azareth, like all these interesting humans that were being profiled, they were all taking time to think and taking time to answer good reflective questions. So I just started doing that. I started, I started writing down the questions that I would see in, in this content. And I started answering them from the perspective of where I was at in my life personally and professionally. And I did that for, like I said, eight, probably about eight to 10 years until eventually getting frustrated or I, I got frustrated with the digital options that were available at that time. Because at that time, this would have been about three, four years ago now, the meditation apps Calm, headspace, and insight timer and whatnot—they were all really start starting to take off from a main, mainstream perspective. But there was nothing out there that was helping people get into a practice like journaling. Essentially, that's what I was doing, right? I was just taking content and reflecting. That's all journaling is—is is reflection. That's the practice. And I was doing it digitally because I was traveling quite a bit with with the, with those various roles. And like I said, there was just nothing that existed. That would be a nice seamless experience of taking prompts, which is what I was getting from that content, and then reflecting on them. So essentially, I set out to create that and and flip my brother in law an email, and who was also the co founder of the app that we created, Keo. and we we started bringing in you know some of the names that you you were mentioning. They were they were in that app, like you know Cal Fussman and, and so forth. That was I think, I think we were talking about him before we hit record, but there was. All of these different people that were providing the reflective questions that were important in their lives at some point, or that they were thinking about on a frequent basis, including brands like VaynerMedia and Lego and LinkedIn and so forth. And, you know, we launched the app and it, it, it did well in the sense that we reached about 86.9 million people in the first couple of years from an app store impression standpoint. And, uh, you know, we had a, a decent amount of users in the app. And that's really what, and I'll pause here because I said a lot, but that's really what got me directly involved
0: in what I call the mental fitness space. Yeah, well, I think there are a couple of questions that, you know, surfaced for me about this. You you actually went and did something with this material, whereas I think that there's, you know, a large subset of people. In fact, I jokingly say the personal development industry is basically built on people who consume a lot of content, but don't do anything with it. you know, you have, I always say it's like, there's these three groups of people. It's like the people who would get a result if they did the thing or not, because that's how they're wired. The second group who, you know, consuming this thing becomes a catalyst for them like you. And then there's a third group who just keeps going back to, you know, the same thing over and over. And Stephen Kotler and I were talking about these, like these people become seminar junkies. Um, so yeah, you know, based on your perspective, why does that happen? And then, you know, the thing that struck me most that you said about the app, um, was, you know, I was not just deleting an app from the store, I was deleting my identity from the last three years, the motivation surrounding a new idea and any hopes of helping millions of people with one action from my finger on my touchpad. At least this—that that is what I was hearing from my internal narrative. Um, let's start with the first question first, but then I'll, I'll we'll follow up with this because I think there's a lot on that second one too.
2: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
0: Between reading the books of all the people I interview, writing articles, and managing my business, I have to deal with and process a lot of information. And one of the biggest causes of information overload and digital distractions in our modern lives is the way that we organize information. Using 20 different apps and sifting through folders is a bit like going to a different grocery store to buy every item on your list, but it doesn't have to be this way. If you've ever felt like you're completely buried by information overload or you can't remember everything that's important, then maximize your output with Mem, our new knowledge management course is just for you. Mem is a knowledge management app that helps you get a handle on everything from reducing information overload to remembering what matters and managing your tasks and projects more efficiently. In this course, you'll learn how to reduce information overload and focus on what's important. Remember everything that matters with ease and manage everything in one place and get more done in less time. I loved Mem so much that I ended up creating this course, and it's a perfect course for knowledge workers and creatives who want to take back control of their time and productivity. You can learn more about it at maximizeyouroutput.com. Again, that's maximizeyouroutput.com.
1: Yeah, I mean, so I mean just I think just with the space in, in general. I mean, realistically a lot of that work falls in people on people's laps or in front of their eyes at you know, let's just be honest like some of the hardest times uh, that that those people are are facing and you know, like any any human, I think we we seek certainty in some capacity right so when you when you bring in this content and especially a lot of the, the marketing that's linked up with with much of the industry which unfortunately you know i don't agree with a lot of it because i think it's it's almost plain taking victim of, of people for what i just mentioned right and people are in, in tough places and you're hooking them in right with these click funnels and things like that um and you know, there's, there's this sense that, okay, if, if I just read this next book or just take this next course, that the, the answer or the, the, the path will appear. And th- there's some truth to that in, in the sense that I think that some clarity can be found if you're going through the motions, but going through that process, I should say. But most of the time, it's just that you're going through the motions and you're actually not stopping and pausing and, and, and applying the actual content, right? I think that's the big thing and that's why I'm so obsessed with with questions because naturally questions allow us to pause, think and then take some sort of action or shift our perspective, right? And that's, you know, that's what you know, that's what excites me about this space is it's like I'm not inventing journaling and I'm not inventing questions, but what I'm trying to do is meet people where they're at in their lives right now with a powerful question to help that facilitate that pause. And then hopefully through the story of either who, uh, you know, I'm profiling, whether that's a Picasso or, or Steven Kotler, for example, um, that there's enough relatability there with either the work or personal life that you, you, you get the person's attention, but then through the questions, you actually apply that. And,
0: and that's
1: where the change can happen. Right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, well, Let's talk about you know what you said about uh, deleting this app because I think that you know particularly for creative people their work and their identity gets so intertwined. Uh, you know it took me a long time to to get past that. Ironically, despite writing a book about creativity for its own sake, uh, I remember to this day my sister calls me and she's like, "You don't even believe what you wrote in your own book." No wonder nobody's buying it. And you know it, it was ironic <laughs> because the entire message of the book was not to worry about metrics, and I was freaking out about book sales. But that's easier said than done. I, I remember Ryan Holiday once told me on this show. He said, "You know, if your happiness uh, depends on you know sort of external factors like how many books you sell, et cetera, it's a recipe for profound disappointment." And I remember putting that quote on Facebook, and Ryan replied saying, "Easier said than done."
4: Yeah.
1: Well, totally. Like, I, I mean, I'm in I'm in that right now as well uh, with with my book. And it, it's easy to get sucked into jumping on Amazon uh, rankings and, and, and bestseller lists and stuff like that. And especially, you know, I'm, I'm super grateful for this, but the book debuted on a couple bestseller lists at number two, which um, I was pumped, but I learned enough from the app experience because what, I mean, what listeners don't know, I mean, the, the quote you shared is from the introduction of the book, but what happened with reaching all of those people that didn't mean, with the app, that didn't mean that our business was sound. And unfortunately, uh, we ran out of money. We ran out of mental capacity to keep that business going. So I had to, to hit delete from App Store, right? So the learning or the insight coming from that experience is, trans, is, is kind of porting itself over to this book experience that, the, the lesson being, don't fall for your own hype. You know, <laughs> we You know, we for all intents and purposes, and I would have thought the same thing, that team, those people must be killing it. How do you, how do you reach 87.9 or 86.9 million people and not, be, have, not have a booming business? Or we had all these, you know, these, these magazine articles and, and collaborations with, like I said, like the medias of the world and LinkedIn and big brands, right? Um, which is good from a marketing standpoint, but that, again, you, you, I, I really think you, you can't connect that or, or be jaded by that hype if your business isn't actually working.
0: hmm yeah. You no, know, it's it's funny because um, I've been going back through Reed Hoffman's book, uh, Blitz Scaling, and he talks about that. He said, you know, like, if you don't have a business model behind technology... know that goes with it he said then you're kind of screwed and i i you know i went to berkeley during the first dot-com boom and you know i was jokingly saying with a friend i was like you've never seen so many smart people do so many stupid things it was just like you know you could put dot-com on you know the end of anything and i remember going to this party that was filled with some of the most prominent venture capitalists in silicon valley it was in san francisco at an art gallery. And this company was now and was announcing that they were now charging for a service that had been free. I'm like, let me get this straight. So you're charging for a service that was previously free, and the way to do that is by throwing a party that cost a shitload of money. Any CFO yeah. would have been like, what the fuck? Uh, yeah. But you know, people lost their minds during that time. Yeah, of course. Well, and it's just I, I, I don't know. I mean,
1: you know, I went through that experience. It was it was insightful. It's the only reason I'm speaking with you and, and able to have these type of conversations, which, like I said at the top of the conversation, co- top of our conversation, lights me up, right? It energizes me, for example. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to repeat those habits or those mistakes. And so I've, with this book launch, I've gone into this really trying to practice or follow what I'm, what I'm preaching with the practices and go in very clear. I mean, I, I know I'm, I've given it and the publisher and the team has give, given the book a solid push to uh, to reach as many people as possible because um, I really believe in the work. And I think I really do believe that we're all one question away from a completely different path or life so that, you know, the, that that's the purpose behind this. But at the same time, I mean, I already got the value out of the experience. I mean, the experience was that I've never written a book before and now I have a published book and, you know, I learned a lot in the, in the last year and a half, putting this thing together and I can't wait to do more of these projects. So, wow. you know, it sounds cliche, you hear this all the time, but that the value is in the journey. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we all have to hear that or it's, cause it's not the first time I've heard that, but it didn't land until I really started working on this book. And yeah. I think we, like, we're all at different places in our lives that eventually that, I hope at least, eventually that, that principle or that, that thought will land with someone.
0: And then life just lightens when that happens. Yeah. Well, It's funny because I, I think I had the same exact experience. I, and Mine was a bit twisted because I had a self-published book that became a Wall Street Journal bestseller very you know, unexpectedly. And then I get a book deal. So imagine going in with that as your baseline. You know, you feel kind of like Elizabeth Gilbert did. And I and you know, I my, I know for a fact that my books that I wrote with the publisher are far more well written and they're much better books. And they didn't sell nearly as well. And it took me a long time to make my peace with that. But to your point, what I realized uh, was that, you know, as you say, it's in the journey, and they always say, you know, people always say it's it's not, you know, what you get, but who you become. And of course, nobody expands beyond that. And what I realized was the person you become is a byproduct of writing a book there's a person who can take a vague idea and make it happen, which is a skill that you can apply to damn near anything. And I realized that's going to be valuable for the rest of my life.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, well, that's what I'm experiencing now. And like the the reason I want to, I'm focusing on going through this process as clear as possible is because I can feel that there are different opportunities that are popping up from from all different avenues that, you know, I don't want to fall for the, the bright and shiny Object. I want to go in the direction that I know will help support my ultimate goals of, of building, you know, a, a nice ecosystem to help people with their mental fitness. And book is one, but, the you know, my show is another and there's a, you know, a lot of corporate work that I'm doing as well, helping teams ask better questions, essentially, and, and bring in these practices. So, you know, that it. it all of these things fuel each other and and we saw that with the app that's why we reached so many people i mean we we were collaborating and bringing in all of these different these different angles and different pieces of content and different companies and people and all making sure that everything was fueling in this case that whole ecosystem right so it's the same it's the same it's the same thing essentially that 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 i'm trying to do it's just i'm i'm coming in you mentioned this, but I, I'm basically coming in as a different person. I am a completely different human. And so is my wife, frankly, going through this whole, you know, entrepreneurial world of the app. We, we're just different people from who we were five years ago. And it feels nice to, uh, to have evolved to this place and, and know that, you know, just like what you just said with your first book. And for me, it resonates with our app it's possible to reach 86.9 million people. I mean, we did it. <laughs> Never would I have predicted that, but it's possible. And there's so many other things that are possible as long as we can see them, right? And we're on the, yeah. on the path
0: that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So before we, we start getting sort of into the framework of the book, I wanted to ask you one last question. You're a parent, and it's, it's funny because I, I have this misguided idea that, you know, if I ask every parent I interview, for parenting advice, someday I'll be a decent <laughs> parent, which it turns out, you know, everybody says, yeah, that's not going to work because uh, my favorite quote I've ever heard about parenting on this show is from Sarah Peck. She was like, parenting is just a giant shit show. Basically, you screw this kid up and explain to him that we're going to fuck up. And then your job is to spend tons of money on therapy to fix everything we screwed up. But um, I wonder, uh, you know, all joking aside, like your own experience yeah. as an entrepreneur, you know, writing this book, what impact has that had on you as a parent? Oh, I mean, it was huge. I mean, I, you know, sticking
1: with the, the 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 humor at first. I mean, I always joke that my ultimate goal is just to keep these mini humans alive, right? And then, <laughs> and then from there, I mean, it's all bonus essentially. So, yeah, and then so, make sure they don't
0: turn out into you know turn out to be giant assholes. Like I, you know, no matter how much you fault your parents, yeah. you're like, it's a tall order to like take this like mini me and make sure they don't you know one they don't die and then make sure they don't turn out to be horrible humans.
1: Exactly. So just like any project, you got to break it down into micro steps. <laughs> first, first, keep them alive. So I think I'm, I'm so far past that. I mean, anything can happen, obviously. But I mean, we, we, we went through that stage. And then now, honestly, it's, I go right back to kind of what I learned from my parents. And I'm just, you know, doing everything possible as a dad to, to A, keep his curiosity at the level it's at. He's five years old. That's the age where you get nailed with questions nonstop being a guy that works with questions, basically there's going to become a natural uh, point in his life, probably more, uh, the, the more he goes through school, where those, where those questions will start to diminish. And what normally happens, and, and we all go through this, but then all of a sudden you hit a, a point in your life where something explodes or something happens and you start asking questions again. So, I mean, my ultimate goal is to try to, 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 to narrow that gap and can keep his curiosity um, you know, peaked and and alive because when we're asking good questions, a I, and I learned this one from Chip Conley. I mean, the most curious person in the room is also the most present. And when you're present, people feel that, and you're you're also present for yourself. And again, you can see a, a clearer path for either your your life or your work. So. Yeah, so for me, it's um, you know that's what I'm trying to do. But at the same time, I mean, he had a huge influence in the decision to shut down that app because I remember he would have been about two or three years old. I remember coming home, doing everything possible to shield the stress, you know, of knowing that we were way in over our heads with from a financial perspective. That uh, I'm deleting this business that was supposed to be the vehicle that was going to keep me in the space that I now know is. Absolutely, the space I want to work in. I mean, you know, they pick up on these on on these things, and that was my greatest fear: was, am I doing damage? Right? Like we were joking about this, and or your, your the example you gave about therapy and stuff like that. Like, am I doing damage to this child um, because I'm just trying to make this this damn business work? Um, so that was, you know, that was that was weighing heavily heavily on me. And, and at the end of the day, it just it felt like it wasn't worth that risk. And that stress, not to mention, you know, I wasn't feeling great. And I also knew in my core that this was just one element of that journey, that I would continue down this, this avenue of, of, you know, helping people with these prompts and, and teaching and, and working in, in the space of mental fitness.
0: Just so happens that vehicle was the app. But
1: There's so many different ways to do it, right?
0: hmm Yeah. Well, so before we get into the Socratic method and idea, I wanted to ask you about one other thing, you know, I've spent a lot of time diving into the bullet journal, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And I've yeah. probably never gifted a book as much as I've gifted um, the bullet journal method, but your book seems like a, a nice compliment. It's like these two books should be, you know, given together as gifts going forward. So yeah, yeah. I, I will be, I will be doing that going forward because every well, time I, you. I, I've, I've literally given the bullet journal to more people than I can, you know think of and i've read a thousand books so that says a lot um but let's talk briefly about handwriting in particular because i think that there is this sort of you know obsessive uh compulsive desire it's like hey let's get on the latest greatest app you know there's something new that everybody says everybody needs to be on and i realize that analog uh in a world of you know that has gone you know extremely digital is incredibly beneficial but i don't think people really understand that and my handwriting is atrocious and I still find it yeah. valuable, but you know you worked at Baron Fig, so you know you probably have a much more um you know like clear view into how why the benefits of this
1: well there's 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 definitely science behind um i can't I can't remember the exact stats, but i mean you're you're definitely uh at a higher probability or percentage to retain the information when you physically write it out um I think there's some stats around productivity as well as creativity from from pen to paper, but I, you know, the thing is with 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 this topic. And re- re- remember, I mean, I kind of like what you just described. I could never read my handwriting in in the past, and it's not the greatest uh, now either. That's why I started uh, on a digital front. And before launching the app, I was essentially typing this stuff in word processors and whatnot. Now, though. The realization has, and this has lifted a whole, a whole array of, of opportunity with, with the practice because if you think of journaling from the perspective of pen to paper, which it's most often discussed, it, you're limited to one method when, when the actual practice itself is, is actually reflection. And that's, you know, and that's what I learned you know, a, a decade ago when I was studying all these, these remarkable humans, about them taking time to think, that's the reflection. So, you know, I think what's most important, forget the science and the stats, is that you actually do something to help foster thought and and to have that reflection. So for you or for, for people listening, maybe that's just, you know, taking a walk with a prompt and thinking about it. Maybe that's pen to paper, maybe that's using an app or recording an audio book or calling a friend whatever it is. I mean, it doesn't necessarily matter what the, what the vehicle is. It's the actual practice of reflection. And now where I'm at with it is that, um, yeah, I mean, I'm a bit spoiled with Baron and Fig and, and, their, and their notebooks and their product and the fact that the book is published by them so that you've got that Baron Fig quality and charm to the book. Um, but I still use apps as well. And I use, I use the app or I use a notebook or I take a walk based on what I need in that moment. And if once, once you can disconnect the associations you have with, oh, maybe I want to have uh, my bookshelf lined with 15 journals over the years so I can go back to it, there's some value to that for sure. But not as much value as in the moment, the in the moment, moment benefits of the actual practice.
0: Well, let's talk specifically about um, the Socratic method, you know, which you break down into, you know, you say that uh, scholars of Socrates have noted six types of questions forming the basis of the Socratic method. Can you explain what those questions are and, and, you know, how we can apply them to our lives?
2: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers.
0: Hey, it's Srini. I want to tell you about something new that we've been building for you. The Unmistakable Collective is a monthly membership for writers, bloggers, podcasters, and content creators who want to build an audience for their work. As a member of the collective, you get access to exclusive content that we don't publish anywhere else, three monthly events, including office hours, Q&A sessions with former podcast guests, and regular workshops to help you develop the foundational skills you need for building an audience. And it only costs $30 a month. If you want to build an audience for your blog, write a book, or start a podcast of your own, Go to unmistakablecreative.com/collective to learn more. Again, that's unmistakablecreative.com/collective.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I I should say I, I sort of. I can because, and that's the whole premise of of why the book is structured the way it is. Because I remember having the discussion about the book concept and what I was writing about, and and essentially what I've been learning from all of these people and my own practice, and everything kept coming back to the idea of asking a big question and then a follow-up question and keep asking questions until essentially you get past the surface to the root cause or root objective of whatever you're working on, for example. And, and I was actually in conversation with the, with the CEO of Baron Figg about this and who has a minor in philosophy, I think. And he said, oh, so you're just talking about the Socratic method. I said, the, well, the Socratic what? Like I know who Socrates is and I know high level, you know, He's the guy that asks a lot of questions, type thing, but that's kind of as, as far as it went. So, when I started to to dig into it, and, and at the same time, I should mention, he said, You should you know the book should be really called Personal Socrates. And I said, Absolutely not. I can't stand that. That's, I'm not writing a book on philosophy. I don't consider myself a philosopher. And that sounds like a terrible idea. Um, so, I started doing the research though, and quickly, quickly started to come to this realization of, wow, you know, here's this guy Socrates, born you know, 469 BC. He's been around since the beginning of time. He invented this method that is essentially designed to bring more clarity and you know, challenge assumptions and all of these different things, which are some of the question types. And we're all doing this in some capacity, but we don't even know we're doing it. And we're, we're definitely not doing it with an intention. So that's when my curiosity was piqued because I could see the flow from all the interviews that that I had done as well, that people were were following this method, but how do we modernize it so that, you know, the fact that I can't even remember those six question types, they're in the book, obviously they're listed out. And like I said, they're clarity seeking type questions, they're challenging assumptions, there's questioning the question, but you, you don't remember that intuitively in in day-to-day life. Like, oh, I need, I need a Clarity-seeking question followed up by a question by the question, and then a challenge in the assumptions. Like it just, we don't process uh, our, our environment like that. So that's when I started to think about, okay, well, what what do I see that's similar with the Socratic method or these question types, and how I see all of these top-performing humans, present day and and past, like the Picasso's of the world and Jane Austen and so forth, Maya Angelou. What what? Where's the overlap? And the overlap, from what I gather, is really around three things. First, we have to get clear. So questions to help get clear and understand, you know, who we are now, who we want to become, or if it's business, you know, where did, how did we get to this point? And where are we heading? So we understand and we're super clear on what's going on. And then the next phase is to ask questions around um, intentionality. So it, who comes to mind? Someone like a James Clear, a you know habit expert and and the author of uh, atomic habits but asking questions to understand well are the actions i'm taking supporting that person i want to become or supporting the business that i'm trying to create my habits support that the systems surrounding those habits support who who i am right and that's all you have to remember because the third part comes by comes by default if you're doing the first two steps and the third one is just there's an expansion of possibility or there's an expansion of opportunity because you can see it. You know, it's all there. It's just we normally we can't see it because our mind is fogged with emotion, decisions, relationships that don't serve us. But as soon as we start getting clear on the person that we want to become and we start blowing out all that mental fog, or if you want to take an example of a, of, the, of a physical room, for example... You go in, open the door, and you you tidy the place up so you can see that. Oh yeah, there's a window back there. The bookshelf's in the back corner. I know I can go there to get that information because you can see it. Now all of a sudden you can see the opportunity.
0: Yeah, you, you, it, it's it's funny because I I'm just I can't help but smile when I when I hear this. Uh, you you brought up clarity as the very first thing, and I'm writing a, a blog post about why people don't accomplish their goals, and lack of clarity, of course, is the big one because. We did a reader survey and the answers that people gave about their goals, some of them were so vague, um, you know, not to pick on people, but I guess I kind of am because I want them to actually accomplish something. When I saw a meaningful business that needs creativity, my joke with my team has been great. Pablo Escobar's business was meaningful. It was really creative (laughs) and it was meaningful to people who are addicted to cocaine, you know, and that was such a vague goal that I was just like, there's no way you could have Oprah as your life coach and you wouldn't make progress with a goal like this.
1: Yeah. It's uh I mean, what comes to mind as you're saying that, I remember it was an interview with uh John Azarath, who's created I think five plus multi-million dollar businesses at this point. And it was I think it was post-interview. We were just talking about the book and and some of the corporate uh workshops and trainings that 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 I was spinning up. And again, this is why I love questions. He just knocked me right on the back of my chair and and basically my head tilted up and I started to think. And he said, Well, how will you know when you've, when you've hit your objective? And I'm like, shit, that's, that's a really, you know, I have, I have goals obviously. Um, but are they super clear in the sense that be like, Oh, that it's that number of, if it's number of books or is it number of engagements with clients? Is it number of conversations on podcasts? Like what, how will you know you've arrived and hit that objective where you'd get to the point where you reassess and either you know create a new one or adjust or whatever, right? Simple question. But we, uh, many, I mean, and, and I, I fall victim to it as well, obviously. Um, you get caught up on the autopilot of, of life and work, right? So that's, that's, again, that's why for me, and it's why the book is written in this fashion. It's like, how can we help just pause that autopilot so that, the prompt is there or the story is there that that shakes shakes people up a little bit to think, OK, yeah, I didn't really think about that from that perspective, just like how, you know, John Azareth did
0: that for me. Yeah. So you, you brought up this idea of, you know, knowing that you hit a particular objective, which, you know, naturally segues for me to wondering, you know, how much is enough? Because, uh, you you can just keep hitting this objective and you keep raising the bar. And uh, you know we have mm. Daniel Lieberman here, who wrote a book uh, called The of More, which is all about dopamine. And you know he said dopamine is all about what you don't have, and he said no matter how much you get, it'll never be enough.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, what comes to mind is that, and and this is a profile that I've actually reread in my own book. It's from Jerry Colonna, who's mm-hmm. known as the uh, star. You, you're, fami- of <laughs> you're, you're familiar, You're <laughs> familiar with, I'm sure, everyone in this book. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's funny. I was trying to probably about 15 of them were have been guests on Unstable Creative. <laughs> yeah,
1: I love it. So, I mean, he's so for anyone that isn't that's listening, he's he's known as the uh the CEO, CEO whisper essentially. But before that, he was a uh, you know, uh, really influential investor uh, for Flatiron Ventures back in the dot com uh era and the the profile that I wrote on Jerry and and that was inspired by Jerry obviously was around the idea that everything is impermanent, right? Including, you know, including the emotions and the thoughts and the feelings that we're going through right now that are, that are making us feel not the greatest, but also including the moments like the highs of seeing that number two bestseller rank on Amazon with the book, like be in those moments, good or bad, but know that they will they will fizzle out, they will transition. And there's, there's a comfort there with that, knowing that you're, we're never stuck in the, in these extended moments like that. I've, some are longer than others, don't get me wrong, but just knowing or having that confidence that, that life just continues to flow and evolve and everything will, um, you know, will, will shift, right? At one point, I mean, we're, we're all going to die at one point as well. I mean, there's, there's, there's an impermanence into everything. And I think that the one that comes to mind the most that gives at least a nice perspective shift for me, um, is just thinking about our natural seasons throughout nature, right? Like you, you don't have a summer without the spring or the fall or the winter. I mean, they all work together. Um, and some people love winter depending on what they're doing and others love summer and and some love both. Everyone's different. But the point being is that we're going to flow through all these seasons, just like we're going to flow through our life of seasons. There's, there's not one that's any better than the other. They, it all stacks together to create the, pe- the, the person we are. Yeah.
0: So you know, one thing I wonder is um, how people start to actually find some semblance of clarity through these questions. And then the other one is, why is it that this sort of Socratic method of thinking is not more prevalent in our education system. Because I think that as I've been going through a lot of the notes that I've taken on books and uh, going through Sankaran's book, How to Take Smart Notes, which really honestly transforms everything you think about reading and writing, uh, I started to realize, I'm like, we're actually not trained to think. We're trained to regurgitate. And this seems to propose the opposite.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is like, I, I don't know where we've lost the, the, the train of thought because I mean, the method, like, like I mentioned, originated from Socrates in an academic setting. And, you know, it's still there depending on which profession you're in, or if you're going to school for, for certain professions, like obviously philosophy, but the other one is, is that's well known would be if you're going through as a lawyer. Um, a lot of it's based on the Socratic method. Um, but I think, you know, when it comes to everyone else, for example, and, and I put myself in that, in that bucket, we're doing it. It's just, we're not thinking about those questions. Like we're all asking the questions like, what do I want to do? Like, where do I want to live? Who do I want to be with? I mean, th- those, those are natural, normal questions of, of life and, and also work. But they're just the starting point. We often don't take that time. Because I think because we are trained for the most part to be productive and up until right now, productivity equates to how much stuff can I do and and boxes can I check and books can I read in a a day or in a month or in a year. And it's starting to shift, thankfully, but I I would say the vast majority of of society are, are still on that train, for example. So when you're doing that, you know, taking time, like taking a fifteen-minute walk in silence without a podcast or an audiobook to just be present, feels unproductive, but it's you know incredibly productive in the sense that you're training your curiosity and the, those muscles for you to be present and notice the detail, which then also shows up when you're reviewing. I don't know the the, the brand strategy or the marketing strategy when you're like, ah, that's off. When normally you would have just kind of glazed past that, so you know that's it, it's I'm comforted and quite excited that that things are starting to transition, or at least I'm seeing it uh, in that avenue, and that's a lot of the, you know what I'm teaching as well, because everyone that that that's profiled in this book, or for the most part my podcast as well, the, the whole intent for behind the human, my show is to show that these practices. I'm not, I'm not interviewing yoga instructors and meditation coaches. I mean, those people have these practices. I'm interviewing people like Claude Silver from Vayner Media, which is an agency known to be grinding it out and hustling. Well, she's calming the agency down. And there's actually a lot of, of practices in that company so that people can think at their best, which requ- like you've mentioned Ryan Holiday a few times, which um. requires stillness, right? The ideas come up when our minds are still. Mm-hmm. That's when we do our best thought.
4: Yeah.
1: So,
0: yeah, yeah. No, um, it, it's funny because it just it sounds to me like, like if we could sum that all up, it'd be like you know we need to start valuing being reflective as much as we value being productive.
1: Yeah, and well, the thing is, but if you start studying, I mean, one of the profiles is on Marcus Aurelius. I mean, you know, you it, it, you can't go much farther back in time. I mean and if you look at you know what was on his plate fighting you know these these gruesome wars and um literally losing i think 13 or 14 of his children over the course of his lifetime dealing with this massive plague that wiped out 5 million or so people i mean the stresses were very real there but he was also taking time to reflect and process and get clear so that he could make good decisions right yeah. so the stuff isn't new it's just a matter of how can we make this relatable to our lives today in, in mm. the current ecosystem of our of our world and and slowly get started?
0: Yeah, well, you know, it's funny because I, I've noticed, you know, when I write about my interviews, I tend to get a lot more out of them. You know, I've been recently turning interviews into articles. And I'm noticing that I seem to really understand it and get a much more in-depth understanding of what I've learned. But you know, the ongoing joke I, I make with my friends is that if I could take all of the advice that I got from my podcast guests and actually apply it to my life, I'd be a billionaire with six-pack abs and a harem of supermodels. But none of those things <laughs> yeah, are true. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I. So I guess you know that kind of raises the question of, you know, how much of uh, how do how do you balance that sort of. Um, value of learning from external sources, but then also, you know, trusting your own sort of internal wisdom. Because I think that one thing that I see over and over is that we become excessively dependent on external sources of knowledge and wisdom to tell us what to do with our lives. And the result of that is information overload and, you know, stupid decisions in which you don't take context into consideration. You know, Mm -hmm. I always say like the blatantly obvious variable that throws off any formula for success is you. Yeah, totally. Well, so and this goes right back to I think
1: one of the the opening questions that you asked, and that that related back to uh, I think you had mentioned your conversation with uh, Stephen Kotler about just being in this this endless cycle of seeking knowledge and and the next book or the next piece of information. I mean, for me, um, this doesn't necessarily happen because for me again because and this has been a journey, but because I'm constantly reminding myself from, from these people, from the podcast that, um, I'm being reminded of the actual practices, which usually link to, okay, they're giving knowledge and they're giving reminders of what works. And then when I'm doing those, those things, especially when it comes to questions and and taking time to think, I'm actually coming up with the solutions to move forward. Right. And for me, all of these practices, whether it's breath work, meditation, journaling, you know, calm walks—I mean, there, there's a couple things happening. They're they're all training our self awareness to, to level that up, so we can see more and feel and and experience. And then they're also allowing us to be um, way more present. And when you have that, you know, that recipe flowing or, or playing out, then all of a sudden. You know, when, when I'm done for the day and I'm going to go, you know, jam on some Legos with my five year old, I'm actually present with him and there. And that's, that's, that's the gift. Just like writing the book, like back to this journey. Cause then you can realize that as you're going through the journey, like this is the gift. So you're not trying to seek the next thing or, or going through all these feelings like I'm not enough. Not that that's not going to come up, but you have the reminders and the tools to, Oh, I just caught myself. yeah, i'm a, I'm about to log on or jump onto an Amazon list. Is that really going to serve any good right now? Probably not. So refocus back to what you're doing. But often, we don't catch that because we're we don't have a consistent mental fitness practice. And for me, that's been journaling for over the last you know twelve years. Um, and for others, it's whatever works for you to 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 prioritize that kind of training because then then it becomes intuitive and that's the autopilot you know that's the only version of autopilot that i want to be on is that i can recognize when my mind flips into another narrative or you know uh, thoughts or feelings of of anxiety or uncertainty pop up like i can recognize it and course correct or rechannel or process so that's not stacking into my mind and then clogging it up because then i can't see i can't see for everything else you know that's
0: important yeah. I I appreciate that so much because I think that, you know, what I realized over and over this past year is no matter what advice I get from people, no matter how many books I've read, all advice is contextual. And no matter what anybody Absolutely. says, you have to think about it in the context of your own life. And I've said that great advice in one context is bullshit in another. Yeah.
1: Well, and this is like, I often, I get asked, you know, okay, well, what's your, what's your favorite question or what's your favorite profile in the book? And the answer to that is that it depends on what's going on. I mean, right? We've already talked about Jerry Colonna, but I mean, his profile has been really significant over the last month or so because it just it lands with stuff that's going on in my life that it it serves as a good reminder. If I think of the question that pulled me out of a of a of a depression that was leading to a severe depression during the moments of of deleting that uh, the journaling app. I mean, the question that pulled me out of that was, what do I want for my life? And that was enough to pause the narrative that was looping to then think, okay, well, if that's what I want for my life, what is it, what does the ideal day look like? Who do I need to surround myself out with to, to get there? What's one step I need to take? You know, just question after question. But if you ask me that question right now, it would serve as a nice pulse check to, to make sure that I'm, I'm still on the, on the right course or the right path but it doesn't have the significance that, that I needed it to have, you know, three years ago to pull me out of a really tough spot. Yeah. So that's why, I mean, that's why the book, uh, I mean, you have it. So the only thing I suggest people to read uh, from start to finish is the introduction. After that, I mean, p- whip out the table of contents and pick the prompt or the person or whatever jumps off of that table of contents that resonates with you. Because that's what's relatable right now for you. right? And then. And then that'll lead you down a path of asking other questions and bringing, again, seeking or, or, or surfacing more clarity. And that'll lead you to the next one and so forth. And if I've done my job properly, that book will evolve as your life
0: does. Yeah. I, you know, I, I appreciate all of this so much. I, I love conversations like this because uh, fittingly, you don't give us answers. You basically leave us with a lot of questions. Uh, and, I, you know, I always jokingly say that I ask questions that actually don't have answers. Yeah, well your question your questions are great. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, well let's uh, let's wrap things up. I you know you gotta get going. So I have two final questions for you. Yeah. you know, you've you know had this app that reached 86 million people. You've gotten to write a book with the publisher, which I think, you know, for a lot of creative writers is a you know, dream come true. How's your definition of what it means to be successful changed as a byproduct of all this process that you've gone through?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, my man, it, this is I feel like this is a sign of a good interview or a good host because I mean, the answer to that question comes full circle on how I, how it started or our conversation started. And for me, uh, the definition of success, uh, for my life is waking up feeling happy and energized and excited to have conversations like these, right? Everything else, they're just, they're, they're nice to have. It's nice to have, you know, book selling and nice to have this, but at the end of the day, you could have that and be miserable and that to me is not the definition of success. So, the and, and not to say that every day is a happiness fest. I mean, <laughs> I'm also human as, as well, but if I can have more happy days than not and, and be present, like I mean, that's my main goal right now is how can I be present for this call, this interview, the next email, whatever, just actually be present and experience, then I feel like I'm, I'm doing the right work. Because if, if I'm not, then there's something off with, uh, you know, James Clear has a, a beautiful line in, in his profile. It says, and there's something off with the, the, with the mountain that I'm climbing. His yeah. question is, am I climbing the right mountain? Because hmm. we can trick ourselves, right? We can, you know, climbing any mountain feels like work, obviously, and it is work. But if it's the wrong mountain,
0: then it's, it's, it's almost wasted work. Yeah. Reminds me of David Brooks' book, The Second Mountain. <laughs> um. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I have one final question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews at The Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody hear something unmistakable? Oh,
1: it makes me think of Coco Chanel and that's being, you know, how do you, what aura or what energy are you leaving behind when you leave a room? Mm. That's the unmistakable and we're all different. Um, And if we give some thought to what that is or what, what what we'd like to leave people on the other side for me, like I said, is energized and I want people to feel motivated and happy and excited. Um, then, you know, I'll feel good about myself. Um, and if we can think about that and, and really be true, be honest, are, are we leaving people like that? Because we're leaving, we're leaving a vibe behind whether we like it or not. It's just whether, you know, it's the one that we, we respect or the one that we want to leave behind. So, I'd say uh, that, that'd be the answer. And, and it
0: suggests people to give it some thought. Give it some thought. Mm. Amazing. Um, well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story, your wisdom and insights with all listeners. I feel like I could just sit here asking you questions all day long. Uh, where could people find out more about you, your work, the book and everything that you're up to? Yeah, thank you. I mean,
1: I, I, I don't take uh, these conversations lightly. I really appreciate the opportunity to jam and I feel like I agree if we could speak for hours um easiest place one one spot one link behind the dot com that's my main website books there podcast there all the socials and and I you know just encourage people to shoot me a message I'd love to know whether it's whether you pick up the book or not I'd love to know which questions uh have made the the biggest difference in your own life and uh, as you can probably suspect at this point, I collect these, <laughs> so share them, tag me, and I'd love to to, to share it with others because you never know. There's someone on the other side that that literally that question could change
0: their life. Yeah. So let's
1: let's help more people together.
0: Amazing! And for everybody listening, we'll wrap the show with that.
3: Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.